Well, I hope that's our prayer today, that just, Lord, we need you. That's every Christian's desire. Uh, for those of you who are new or don't know me or who listen online or on the radio, my name is Joe, and I'm the worship pastor here, and I'm excited to be able to preach this morning as we are going to bring Philippians to a close. We've spent about 23 weeks in Philippians, and today we're going to see how Paul kind of closes out this letter. And so I'm very excited about what we're going to see today. Uh, before we get into chapter 4, I want to do just like a, a slight recap so we can understand just kind of the flow that Philippians was. Uh, the Philippian church is a church that we can gain a lot of insight from. They're a church that it's interesting how Paul describes them. In all of Paul's letters, he pretty much starts off thanking God, praying for them, remembering them. However, for the Philippian church, he says that um, always in prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. There's this, this joy that the Philippian church brought to Paul. And we also see that the Philippian church themselves had this abundance of joy. Therefore, the series is called Joyful, right? And so as we look through this, Paul just, he really thanks the Philippians for their, the joy that they bring him, for their faithfulness to the gospel. He encourages them to remain faithful in the midst of their suffering. Paul's in prison, and in chapter 1 he reminds them that this hasn't hindered the gospel. Instead, it's advanced the gospel so that all those in the emperor guard to know that he's there for Christ. It's helped the other disciples have boldness in their faith. He encourages them, no matter what the circumstance, stand firm. He also tells them that you need to be united through humility, using Jesus' example of the ultimate act of humility to humble himself to death, even death on a cross. And he says, by doing so, you'll be light into a dark world. Paul warns them against legalism and lawlessness, which seems to always creep back into these churches, this desire to add things to the gospel, or this desire to pretend that because you're saved, you can do whatever you want. He practice a life of obedience, but add nothing to faith. Then in chapter 4, Paul's going to thank them for their love and resport throughout their entire relationship. We're going to, end, we're going to begin here uh, in chapter 4. And I've got to be honest with you, when I read this, about two weeks ago, I'm like, all right, this is what I'm going to preach on. I read through it, and I thought, man, there's really nothing here. It's just kind of like a, a long greeting. So I was interested to, like, what am I going to talk about here? Maybe you're like me, and you do that often. You read something, you're like, ah, your genealogy's right. Let's skip that. Let's move on to something that really tells me what to do. But the reality of it is, is when you study Scripture, you never leave that way. In fact, if you think genealogies are that way, I challenge you to study it, and you'll be blown away as I was at how much is in here. And today is no different. We're going to see that the Philippian church had the right desire in meeting the needs of Paul. They sacrificed greatly, and as a result, they're going to receive an even greater, or even a greater blessing. So if you would, get your Bibles out, open them up to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. And let's stand in honor of God's Word as we read this together. Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even at Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray right now that God, you would use your word to equip us, 
to grow us. And God, just that, that our hearts would be open to your call and your, um, just your plan in our lives. And that, God, that we won't leave here the same. God, I pray that we would just surrender to your word. I want to give you all the praise in advance, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing that we see here is that the Philippian church had the right desire in meeting the needs of Paul. Now, for us to understand this, we've got to kind of recap what Pastor Aaron talked about because this is in light of what was taught last week. If you didn't see that, jump on, you know, line our podcast. Make sure you listen to that. But very briefly, Pastor Aaron talked about the contentment that is found only in Christ. Right? Paul had everything he needed to be content in Christ. It's interesting that this gift that they talk about now, there was a 10-year gap. Right? We just read how from the beginning of the gospel, the Philippians have always met the needs of Paul. However, at this point, there had been a 10-year gap. They were not able to meet the needs of Paul. And Paul reminds them in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Right? In verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul reminds them, because I'm sure there's people in that church that thought they were not able to meet the needs of him for 10 years after doing so well this whole time. The opportunity wasn't there. And Paul wanted to remind them, your inability to provide my need didn't hinder the work of the gospel because I am content in Christ. I have everything I need in Christ. However, this gift was quite amazing. In verse 10, last week we saw, Paul said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, as Aaron said last week, Paul said, thanks for this gift, but it wasn't necessary. I have everything I need in Christ to fulfill what he's called me to do. However, he greatly rejoices. And the reason he does that is because though Paul doesn't need anything other than Christ, he rejoiced because what they did was right. They, they had the right desire to meet the needs of Paul. They realized they didn't have to do this. They get to do this. So now let's look at verse 14. In light of that, in light of the contentment not needing anything else in Christ, Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Now, I'm going to take a moment. We're going to talk about translations of the Bible quick because I like the ESV. Pastor Aaron likes the CSV. We're still praying for him. And, uh, but the ESV, I feel like it lacks a little bit of what the Greek actually says here. And the reason I want to talk about this just for a moment is because I've talked to enough of you that I've heard this. Which translation should we study? Which one should we memorize? Which one's right? And my answer to that is you should be thankful that you have so many in your language. All around the world, our brothers and sisters don't have a copy of God's word in their own language. And so I encourage you to look at them all. Use resources like BibleHub.com where you can see them all on a line and then study that. And when you see differences that seemingly this has to be a contradiction, study why. And what you're going to find more often than not is a greater and better understanding of the word of God. And that one time out of ten that you might see something's wrong, there's a confidence that you know that this isn't right. So the better translation of verse 14, when you study, your translation might have this. It says, you did well. Okay? In light of not needing a gift, Paul says, you did well in giving this to me and meeting my need. This word, you did well, means noble, honorable, right. They had the right desire. In 1 John 3, 16, we're told this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now look at this. But if anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. They were concerned for Paul. They were concerned for the needs that he had. And they had the right desire to want to meet those needs. Let's not forget who Paul is to them. Paul is the man that God used to share the gospel to him. 
One commentary said this, that they must have viewed their monetary gifts to Paul as a small token of appreciation to God for their eternal life. See, we're not called that we have to meet every need of everyone in the world. We try our best, but most importantly, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to meet their needs if able. Now, the Philippian church, we're told, did this over and over again. As we read, if we look back in verse 15, he says, You Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. In Acts 16, we find that Paul is in his second missionary journey. He goes into Macedonia. The first church he founds is Philippian, the Philippian church, right? From there, he goes on. And he goes to a couple other cities that I can't pronounce, so I'm not going to try. And then he ends up in Thessalonica. And even in Thessalonica, they're still meeting the needs, even though he's 60 to 90 miles away. From day one, we see this in chapter one of Philippians, and now they've always been in partnership. They've always shared in this need that, that he had. Now, it's interesting when Paul says, you're the only ones who shared in this partnership of giving and receiving. When I first read that, this is an accounting term, but when I first read it, I viewed it as... I, you know, I give you something, you pay for it, right? Like, I sell you something, you pay for it. This giving, receiving. That's not what he's talking about here. This is a one-way thing. They gave solely so Paul could receive. And this gift particularly, they sent Epaphroditus to make sure he got the gift and then minister to him. This completed transaction was when they gave so then Paul could receive the needs that he had. Pastor Aaron and I have experienced this as well. You guys are a part of a church that is blessed by other churches who gave solely so that we could receive. It's no wonder Paul rejoices with this type of giving. There's been churches that helped us out maybe four years ago when we were raising funds. And then we start this Finding Hope Center, this building project, and all of a sudden you get a check in the mail. Say, hey, we like what you're doing. We hope this helps. The joy that that brings us is incredible. And it shows the heart. They're not giving to get something. They gave solely so Paul could receive what he needed. I'm told in Hebrews 13, 16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The Philippian church realized they didn't have to do these things. Paul had what he needed in Christ, but they get to be a part of this. They get to do these things. They had the right desire. And the second thing we see is they gave a great sacrifice. Look at verse 18 with me. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Now let's stop right there and just make sure we understand Epaphroditus was sent with a monetary gift to give to Paul for his needs, and then Epaphroditus stayed to minister to him. So this gift that they gave, now I want us to see how Paul describes what type of gift that was. Look at the end of verse 18. He says, it was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now this should bring to mind the Old Testament sacrificial system. right? All throughout the Old Testament, we see these sacrifices that produce a pleasing aroma to God. Genesis 8.20, told that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. God was pleased with this sacrifice that was a pleasing aroma, this pleasing fragrance. Exodus 29.18 and many other places, God tells them to burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. All throughout the Old Testament, we see these sacrifices that were given. And we're told that it was pleasing to God if it was done in the right way. Malachi chapter 2. Fascinating read. God is furious with the people. 
I mentioned that this was a great sacrifice. And in Malachi 2, we find that animals were even given to the governor to pay for taxes. It cost them greatly. However, in Malachi, they're actually giving sacrifices that are sick, lame, blind, blemished to God. And God says, try giving that to the governor. He wouldn't accept it. How dare you give that to me? To such a degree that God says, I wish somebody would shut the doors so nobody can offer a sacrifice in vain again. When we offer a sacrifice, it's pleasing to God when it's done the right way. The motive behind our offering is important. Paul mentions the sacrifice of Jesus in Ephesians 5, 2, and uses the same language. Look what he says. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul uses the same phrase, the same wording to describe the Philippian gift that they gave to Paul as the sacrifice that Christ made. Now, obviously their gift isn't the same as Christ. It's not comparing the two as if one is greater. However, in Christ, they're just as pleasing to God because they were done the right way. Though their sacrifice was far less than Christ, it was still a great sacrifice. Now, I mentioned earlier that this gift is specifically the one that they sent with Epaphroditus. However, we read that from the beginning of the gospel, they partnered with Paul. They gave these gifts. They met his needs. And so I want to show you in 2 Corinthians how Paul describes how they gave and in what condition they gave to other churches. If you remember, Paul was going around and he was collecting an offering for the Jerusalem Christians. He was telling them to prepare yourself to have this offering so I can take to them. As a little side note, I just want to argue that how they're described in giving to other churches can't be more than how they gave to Paul, the man who God used to share the gospel with them. But even if it was the same, let's look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul's talking to the Corinthians. He said, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Who's that? It's the Philippian church. And at this point, it's the Thessalonians and also the Bereans. So, We want you to be aware of what's been given from the church of the Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. So let's stop right there. Can you see the heart that this Philippian church had? In a severe test of affliction... In extreme poverty, they have this abundance of joy that overflows into a wealth of generosity. They didn't have to do this. They realized they get to do it. In verse 4, Paul says, they did this of their own accord. Now look at this. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this severe test of affliction, in this extreme poverty, this overwhelming abundance of joys caused them to beg to be a part of the relief of the saints. And again, this is just to Christians in Jerusalem. How much more did they want to meet the needs of Paul? You might be wondering, how could you do that in that state? In verse 5, it sums it up. Paul says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. I think sometimes we look at this and it's, well, you give first to the Lord. Then I think what, they surrendered themselves to the Lord. The first thing they did as Christians was they surrendered themselves to the Lord. And by the will of God, they gave in such this way. How many of us overflow with the wealth of generosity in the midst of this severe affliction or extreme poverty? How many of us in those conditions beg 
to, be, to have the opportunity to help others. But I also wonder how many of us have an abundance of joy. See, surrendering to God changes our outlook on life. The Philippian church had the right desire. They sacrificed greatly, but Paul says there's an even a greater blessing coming. A greater blessing. Look at verse 19. Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul promises a blessing to the Philippian church because of the gift that they gave. You might have heard this expression, you can't outgive God. That's absolutely true. You can't outgive God. He says, because of this gift, God's going to supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. Now, when God supplies this need, is there a limited supply? No. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, there's this unlimited supply. Now, it's interesting, though, that this is tied to the gift that they gave first. When you look at the word and, it says, and my God, it actually means more, moreover or now. So now my God will supply every need. Paul uses the same language in 2 Corinthians 9, 8 when he talks about a cheerful giver. If we look, it says, God loves a cheerful giver and or now God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Notice how many times all, 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 every. When you give the right way, then God does these things for you. But it's linked to you giving first. Now, we've got to stop for a second because I'm not at all suggesting that we read a passage like this backwards. I'm not suggesting that we look at this and say, okay, well, God's going to meet my needs if I give, so I'm going to give. That's not at all what they did. And the second that you give to give from God, you're not the one Paul's describing here. Paul wrote this letter, promised this blessing after they already did this. They weren't seeking anything in return. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew that what they were doing would produce something to their credit. They did it for the right reasons. They weren't expecting anything. And how beautiful is that, that the one who gives, not expecting anything, gets everything from God. But the second you twist that, you don't expect this blessing. It's not who they're describing. It's interesting, too, when we look at the cheerful giver. It ties right in. Paul's the one who wrote both of these. got the same language used. A cheerful giver is described as one who has already intended to do something, already prepared to do it, just waiting for that moment, just like the Philippian church who's begging to be a part of this. They're not sitting there hoping that they get something in return. It's a completely different heart. And when you give that way, as they did, knowing we, we know that because it was pleasing to God, God will meet their every need. Now notice, he doesn't say God will meet your every want. And this is something that bothers me. It's frustrating that we have to distinguish the two. Because we, we pretend as Christians that we somehow have to settle with God. We somehow have to, we don't get the things we want. We can only get, I know, I guess I only need this, but I really like this, but I guess I only need this. We don't settle with God, friends. And I want you to hear me for a second. The closer you walk with the Lord... Your needs become your wants. Do you understand that? Your needs that you have become your wants the closer you get to the Lord. God knows who we are. He created us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knew us before the foundation of the world. He knows exactly what we need to thrive. So my question would be, why do we want anything else? Why wouldn't we want what we need when he's the one who knows exactly what that is? 
He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. So whatever God gives us is exactly what we need. Therefore, it should be exactly what we want. God's doing something in us. Shouldn't want anything else. And here's the thing. The Philippian church absolutely had physical needs. They were in a severe test of affliction, extreme poverty. But I think we can also see from this passage that one of the needs they had was to meet the needs of the saints. They were begging to be able to do this. And this promise that God's going to supply their every need is going to allow them to sit in this, this joyful state where no matter what their circumstances, they get to serve other people. And we know that this is one of the things God wants us to have because he was pleased by it. And again, they have an abundance of joy. So I would challenge you, if you don't have abundance of joy, maybe try looking at this a little different. Now, as Paul closes this letter down, I want to look at this final greeting. As Paul praises God for the provision for both himself, whether he was a, had abundance or nothing, but he also praises God for the provision for the Philippians and able to meet these needs and able to do these things. And look how he ends this greeting in verse 21. He says, And greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit. Now the part where it says all the saints greet. So again, we know that the Philippian church is a church that brought joy to Paul. Every time he thought of them, every time he prayed, it brought joy in his prayers. And by this greeting, we know that Paul told the other saints about Philippians. He's telling, they told the Corinthians how they ought to give like they did, right? But it's interesting that he says all the saints, especially those of Caesar's household. Remember back in chapter 1. Paul says, my circumstances haven't hindered. They've only advanced the gospel. So that all those in the emperor guard know that I'm here for Christ. And now at the end of this letter, Paul says, all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Caesar's household is what's keeping Paul in prison. Yet, here's the beautiful thing. Them providing this need didn't allow Paul to either preach the gospel or not. We know he had sufficiency in Christ. But because of their partnership, they get to experience this. They get to experience the, to see the, salva the saving work that God did, even in the house of Caesar. See, when we seek to serve the Lord, no matter what the cost, he lets us be a part of what he's doing. And I pray that we as a church are not so focused on ourselves that we miss out on what God's doing. But instead, we're so surrendered to him that he allows us to be a part of this. We get to do this, and then we get to share in what he's doing all around the world. Talk about joy. When we have the right desire, it will require a great sacrifice. But done right, we will receive an even greater blessing from the Lord. I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we just close in a prayer and just a time of reflection. I wonder if today one of you here doesn't have this abundance of joy. You know, we live in a time where things maybe not going the way we want them to, or maybe not going the way that you had had them planned. But I hope we can gain something from what we learned about the Philippians, that in a severe test of affliction, in extreme poverty, there was an overabundance of joy that produced a wealth of generosity. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your encouragement. And God, we thank you more than ever that we've received the Holy Spirit who can just really nail these th things down in our life. And God, I pray today that we be a church 
that would bring joy to the Lord, that would be a church that is surrendered to Him, a church who truly views the needs as our wants. You got to pray today that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, has never experienced the joy, or even if they know you and the joy just isn't there, that God, you would renew that with them, that you would retune their heart to be in line with you, that they would be obedient to you. God, you promise that you will meet our every need. God, I pray that we trust in that. Lord, I just want to give you the praise for all that you've done and all that you're going to do, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.